just a little fun, you know, just having a little bit of fun. So, so people are like, is that, is that a Christian song? Can you play that in church? Well, of course it is. You can't get to heaven, stairway or not, without Jesus. So obviously it's a Christian song and anything related to heaven. Hey, we are glad that uh, you are here. This is our uh, second week of our three-week series on heaven. If you're new with us, uh, if, uh, the, the, because the kids' ministry, they've got this kaboom thing that's going on. There's a lot of kids having a great time. We're just excited that you're here. Uh, we're basing this series on what the Bible has to say about heaven. There's a lot of things out there about what heaven's going to be like and what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, all that kind of stuff. So we really want to look at it through the lens of what the Bible actually has to say because the only person who knows is the one who wrote the Bible and Jesus who actually came from heaven to earth and went back into heaven. So we're trying to understand from that angle. What's hard about this series is that in the Bible, there's not like a chapter or a book called heaven, what to expect. And so we kind of walk through that. So it is intermixed with the entire book of the Bible, all these little snippets about heaven. Well, what's great is a guy by the name of Randy Alcorn wrote this very thick book and looked at all the scriptures of what it has to say about heaven, some things that we can understand. So we're, uh, I want to encourage you, if you don't have that resource, if you really want to go even deeper than what we're talking about, uh, to be able to do so. Now, today's going to be a little bit different. Uh, it's going to be more of a conversation than a sermon, which is why we're kind of Seated up here, because I asked this question you know, on social media uh, of what are you expecting from heaven or what, are you, what questions do you have about heaven? And I got hundreds of responses. So I said, you know, we just need to answer some of these questions as we kind of go through this. Before we do, though, uh, I've got an exciting announcement. Many of you know that we took an offering these last few weeks called 50-50, where 50% you know, of the resources went to, is going towards Freeman, which is our next campus. If you don't know, we have two campuses right now. One's in Otis and here at Barker, and then that would be our third campus, you know, launching officially uh, in February, but we'll actually be doing some things this fall that you'll want to be aware of, even with an upcoming meeting in just another week or so. So just take a look at your weekly or online for more information on that. But secondly, the other 50% was going towards a down payment for our lobby expansion, see if we can afford to be able to push things out a little bit you know, further. Besides, I mean, a day like today, you don't need a lobby, but today is like once every 52 weeks. So we understand where we live and we understand you know, uh, kind of the pinch point here. And so the goal was to raise $100,000 in cash. So uh, I'm excited to let you know, as of today, we have over $106,000 that came in towards this goal. That's amazing. Now, here's what you need to know uh, that has been so encouraging to me. I've been here for almost four years, and we have done um, these kinds of initiatives at least twice a year for four years, and I can tell you this, that there has yet to be a financial initiative that our congregation has not met. There has not been one. And so it just shows, again, to me, the generosity of you and the belief in what God is doing in and through this church. And so just thank you. Thank you for that partnership. Thank you for that connection as we continue to do what God has asked us to do. So as we kick off today, you know, like I mentioned, uh, we have these questions, you know, that were asked. The reason I kind of laugh a little bit is because I do want, you know, to start with some of the humorous ones, you know, uh, that came in that I actually thought was pretty uh, funny. For example, uh, Zachary asked this question about heaven. Uh, will there really be Chick-fil-A for free? You know, <laughs> yes, there will, Zachary. Yes, there will. Immediately, uh, Jamie responded underneath Zachary, yes, and it'll be open on Sundays. <laughs> so just in case 
You were wondering about that. Uh, Mariah, you know, said, is there going to be chocolate rivers, lickable wallpaper and gum that tasted like a three-course meal? And she said, yes, my heaven view was shaped by Willy Wonka, you know, as she, okay. And how, which kid wouldn't, you know, want to think that that would be what heaven would be like? For those of us who are adults, says that just has diabetes written all over it. Um, now, what I really love is uh, Nikki um, asked her kids, and so she said, hey, what are kids, what, what are some questions that you have about heaven? So it kind of gives you a mind, you know, set of the age. And I said, you know, what? this kind of fits the age and stage of the kids. So Nikki's 10-year-old daughter asked, will we get to meet and talk with famous people? And will they remember their life on earth? So she's like, how cool would it be, you know, in heaven to meet famous people? And then Nikki's 8-year-old son, you know, asked this, do we get superpowers in heaven? That's exactly the right question for an eight-year-old, you know, to be like, yeah, do I get to do that? So we're going to try to answer, you know, some of that as well. But my favorite is Nikki's six-year-old son asked this question, will we still poop and pee and will it just fall out of the sky? (laughs) If you have ever had a six-year-old boy, this is the most appropriate question, you know, that they would definitely be asking. You know, I'm like, yes, that would definitely, my son would be asking those questions. And then uh, Cameron asked the question, uh, is Taco Bell there? No, Taco Bell's in the other place. You know, uh, (laughs) just change the B to an H and uh, I think you'll be just fine with that question. Okay, (laughs) we're just having a little fun. You know, uh, in addition to these questions, you know, hearing from you, I got hundreds of responses. And, and questions. And so uh, what's great is that Randy addresses a lot of these questions under sub-questions in his book, and we want to address these, you know, as well. So here are the five questions that we're going to try to work through today. Number one, will, what will the resurrected earth be like? Number two, what about animals? I hear that a lot. Number three, what will our lives be like in heaven? Number four, what will we do in heaven? And number five, what will our relationships be like? Now, the Apostle John, you know, who wrote uh, four or five books in our New Testament, he was uh, one of the guys that Jesus chose to be one of his closest followers. We'd call him an apostle. And, and he actually uh, calls himself the one whom Jesus loved, which is always funny to give yourself that name. But uh, he wrote John, and then he wrote to the church in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John later in our New Testament. And then he wrote this obscure book called Revelation. Uh, And he wrote that last book uh, while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. He was one of the only, you know, followers of Jesus, one of the only apostles who we know, according to church tradition, who didn't die a martyr's death. And so God uh, allowed him to live long, and and Jesus visited him in this vision, this dream, and he wrote down some of these things. So whenever we see the book of Revelation today, you'll see that that's a lot of where we're getting some of our information from. Now, our understanding of heaven gives us a way to practice. What you're going to notice is a lot of the things that we're going to experience in heaven, we get little tastes of it here on earth. The second thing we hope is that through this series, that this gives us hope regardless of what our circumstances are. Remember, what kind of stuff that we're going to face that there's always going to be a better day eventually down the line? And we'll get a lot more to that next week. So let's dive into our first question. What will the resurrected earth be like? Uh, Randy Alcorn says this, the new earth will be a place of sensory delight, breathtaking beauty, satisfying relationships, and personal joy. Now, the Bible uh, describes heaven as both a country and a city. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, it says, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he's prepared a city for them. 
Now, by the way, we're going to blitz through so many different scriptures on this because, again, we want you to see not speculation, but what we know the Bible has to say about this. Now, how big will this city be? Because some people are worried about, is it going to be crowded, you know, in heaven? How big is this thing going to be? The cool part is that we get to read in Revelation 21, the angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. So if you put yourself in the middle of the United States, and you went from like the Appalachian Mountains to all the way to the ocean, from Canada to Mexico, that's about 2 million square miles, and it gives you an idea of how spacious this city is going to be. Uh, uh, think of something like London and like 40 times bigger you know, uh, than London. Uh, this place is going to be massive. Now, understand, that's just length and width. It's also going to be 1,400 miles tall. So to give you an idea, if you were to take 12 feet, you know, of each story, you know, that would take and go 1,400 miles, that'd be 600,000, 600,000 stories, okay? So it gives you this massive idea. So if you put billions of people, billions of people in this city alone, each individual person would have a few square miles per person. So heaven's not going to be crowded. It's absolutely huge. And again, we're only talking about the city. It'd also be the most beautiful city that you could ever imagine. Think about some of those beautiful cities that we have on this earth. Maybe some of you have been to Washington, D.C. or New York or maybe outside this country like Paris or London or uh, my, my favorite, uh, Rathdrum, Idaho. You know, um, it's equal, equal to, you know, it's about, about the same. You know, uh, and there's so many, so many more. Uh, Revelation 21, verse 18 says this, the wall was made of jasper and the city was pure gold as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. And then it goes on to talk about the opulence, the incredible uh, stones and diamonds and emeralds and all this kind of stuff that you're gonna see. So take the most beautiful city that you can imagine and multiply it by infinity and you're having just a little taste of what this city is going to look like. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you are like me that you don't really like big cities? Anybody else that not like big cities? Yeah, I, I figured it'd be a lot of us. So you're like, that doesn't actually appeal to me, you know, going to a large city. Now, here's what you need to understand, though. Imagine everything that you hate about a city is gone. No traffic, no crime, no pollution, no sirens, no garbage, no homelessness, Imagine no crowdedness. It's going to be filled with natural wonders, magnificent architecture, and a thriving culture. All the good things that you'd find in a city. In fact, for those of us who like nature more, nature is going to be throughout. It's not going to be like concrete jungle, or I should say gold-filled jungle. You know, it's not going to be all that kind of stuff. There's going to be nature mixed in with city. Um, Think Central Park in New York and then multiply that out. For example, in Revelation 22, it says this, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street. Okay, so it's the most important part of the street. Here's this river of life. And on each side of the river grew a tree of life. And then it goes on to explain, you know, all of these massive trees and these orchards and these different things right in the middle and the heart of the city. So all these things will be taking place. Now, somebody has asked, will we miss um, some of the things from the earth? Will we miss some of those things? Uh, here's one way to think about it. If you've ever been on a trip and you go to the airport 
and they say, uh, excuse me, Mr. or Mrs. Smith, uh, I just want to let you know that the plane is full, but uh, we've decided to put you in first class. Now, while you were in first class, did you ever think for a second what was taking place in economy? Did you ever think, man, I just wish I was uh, next to two people in a middle seat near a smelly bathroom? I mean, that's what I'm really missing. Like, you didn't think one time about economy while you're sitting in first class. In the same way, just gives us a little picture, you know, of everything that you're going to be liking about earth. Think about everything you love about earth, and it's going to be accentuated, multiplied, better than you're not going to be thinking about what you're missing you know, here down on this earth. So to be part of a city, though, understand this, means that we are citizens of this city. Uh, uh, citizens both have responsibilities and privileges. And Philippians 3.20 says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we eagerly are waiting for him to return as our Savior. Uh, if you've ever traveled outside the United States, one of the comforting things is to come back in through customs holding a U.S. passport. There is something encouraging walking in, walking into that line and saying, I am a citizen of this country. Now, what did I do to earn citizenship? I was born. That was it for me. Uh, it wasn't the case for my wife, Carolina. She was uh, three years old, and she came over when she uh, uh, was three from Colombia, South America. And she has this permanent green card, you know, is what, you know, her license and the different things, you know, had to say. So it was a permanent, you know, alien green card is, is, is what she was known for. And so one of the questions that we asked when I married her is, are you marrying me just so you can become legal? <laughs> We've been married 20 years. So it isn't, uh, it isn't one of those things. It was one of the things that we made fun of quite a bit. Uh, but what she wanted to do is that she wanted to be a citizen of this country. So she had to take these classes and then she went to a ceremony. By the way, these classes, uh, most of it, most of us would fail, you know, on the exam of all of these classes that we would need to know because it talked about not only the privileges of being a part of this country, but the responsibility as well. And then there was a pledge to be a citizen, you know, of this great country in the same way. You and I are going to go to the entrance of the kingdom of God into heaven. And we're going to be asked upon entrance, why should we let you in? And you're going to say, I'm a citizen. And they're like, what makes you a citizen? And you're going to fumble through it because you're not going to have anything that you have done, just like you didn't do anything to be born here. But you are going to be asked a question, just like my wife was asked a question, what gives you entrance into this place? And at some point, you might fumble through and say, Jesus. And when you say Jesus, you'll realize that it's not our way of putting down other religions, but our understanding of what the Bible says is Jesus is the one who said this, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one gets entrance into the kingdom of heaven to become part of the kingdom of heaven as a citizen except through acceptance of what Jesus has done. Not by anything you have done, you could do nothing to earn it, but by what he has done in your receptivity to that. In addition, we get to have our own place to live our own place to live. In John 14, 2, it says, Jesus says, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Now, for those of us, you know, who think through this, like, are we going to have mansions? Are we going to have condos? Are we going to have space and grass? Are we going to have, because some of you are like, I'm an extrovert and I want people around all the time. Some of the others are, I'm an introvert and I don't want anything to do with people. And, and, and I only want them around some of the time. Here's what we realize. When we go to heaven, you're not going to lose your personality. You're not going to become someone different. Our bodies are wasting away, which we'll talk about in a second. But who you are is going to continue on into heaven. And so understand this, and let's put it at rest. 
is that you will both have people around and you will have times where people will not always be in your grill. Okay, so there'll be times based on your wiring, and here's what you know. If you're the most introverted person in the world, you still can't go with ever, forever without people. You need it. If you're the most extroverted person in the world, there are some times that you actually need to be recharged when you're by yourself. And so there's going to be both of that as we go into heaven based on where we live. Here's what's most important, maybe. It will fulfill, heaven will fulfill a longing for a home, a place literally to fully belong. Hebrews 13, 14 says, for this world is not our permanent home, for we are looking forward to a home yet to come. Have you ever gone on a long trip? I'm talking one that's seven days, 14 days, 21 days. And you get to the end of the trip, and even if it's been wonderful, even if it's been great, even if it's been a fantastic time, one refreshing and filling, there is still something inside of us that when you pull into that driveway, whether it lasts a few moments or several hours, and you put the bags down, there's this I'm home. I have my phone ringing. You know, I have, you know, the pillows. I have my own bed. I mean, I recognize all the comforts, right, that are due to me. And you, even though you've been to other, maybe even more amazing places, you still sit back and you're like, and it lasts. It doesn't last forever, does it? It has this, this, this feeling. But it's like God created us for a longing to feel at rest, a longing to feel peace, a longing to feel like we belong. Now, here's what I know is that some of us grown up in homes, some of you grown up in homes where that wasn't the case. You, you actually didn't want to be home because of the turmoil and the pain and the suffering. And yet, because of that, it still proves the point that you still wanted that, that God created us for that. Maybe you have conflict and pain and suffering in your home right now. There's still a desire that God created us to want to have this place called home. And we're gonna receive that, that for all eternity as we find our way home. Which leads us now to our second question. What about animals? Okay, what about animals? Well, let me be super clear. Cats will be in hell. <laughs> I'm gonna get some emails on, on that one. I'm completely kidding, mostly, you know, um, with, with that. Uh, humorous Will, Ro Will Rogers said this, if there are no dogs in heaven, then when I die, I want to go where they went. Uh, what he's saying is that uh, we do have a longing for this animal companionship that we might have gathered. Some of people call them fur babies, which is a little weird, you know, um, <laughs> and, and it's these parts of the families. But how many of us have had animals that we have thanked God for? that we've just said, you know what, that, that brought comfort, that brought a smile to my face, that brought incredible joy, that dog that crawled up into my son's bed to help him with anxiety, to help him with fear, and would sleep with him all night. We thank God for those things. And so we look at this like, why wouldn't God have animals in heaven? He would. And it's not just because we want there to be animals, because the Bible actually teaches it. In Isaiah chapter 11, Verse six through nine, well, unless you hate your animal, maybe it'll be in the other place, but that's a whole different question. Uh, uh, it says, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay with a cow. The baby will play safely near the hold of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in the nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for as the waters fill the sea, 
so the earth will be filled with the people who know the Lord. Right back to the Garden of Eden. Right? God created all of it, and it was good. If you, in fact, if you look over Scripture, and if you're new with us, you may not understand some of these references, but if you've been in Christianity for a while and know the Bible, you'll understand what I'm saying at this point. God uses animals to fulfill his purposes here on earth, so why not in heaven? He ordered ravens to feed Elijah in 1 Kings 17. He provided a great fish to swallow Noah, or Jonah. Noah, that would be weird. That'd be a huge <laughs> fish, ginormous fish to swallow Noah. So Jonah, you know, he he did. So even if you're new to Christianity, you know that I'm not speaking correctly. Uh, So he swallowed Jonah. Now Jonah probably didn't say that was a great provision, Lord. Thank you for using that fish. You know, uh, he sent a fish with a coin in its mouth to teach the disciples a lesson. And what about Balaam and his donkey, right? That donkey spoke. God created the donkey to actually speak. In fact, heaven talks about horses, you know, as well. Now, here's something to kind of think about that I never really realized until I began to look a little, little closely. Animals will probably talk in heaven, and they'll have the ability to praise God. Now, it's not because I like the Chronicles of Narnia, although that is a great series, and that shaped the thing. And again, what does the Bible have to say? Let's look at Revelation 5, verse 13, and notice with me, which I've never noticed before. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea. They, everything I just mentioned, sang. Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. So yes, animals, potentially, if, if God can use a donkey and, and a serpent who can talk, you know, according to our scriptures, then why not there? Now, I do realize that some people take this animal loving to a whole other level. They go to hell in healthy extremes that God never intended. Like animals are equal to value to humans. They are not before God, nor are they greater than humans. Okay, not in the eyes of God. Now also, let me make it clear so I also don't get some emails. Uh, Animals do not have souls. In other words, they do not have a sinful nature because I don't want to be a church that starts baptizing dogs and all that other kind of stuff. Like, if I want my fluffy in heaven with me, so we got to baptize them, you know, because they're going to see, speak in heaven. No, see, that's taking it too far. The Bible has nothing to say, you know, about that as well. Now, it seems also like that God will restore extinct animals and plants on the new earth. Why not? If he had it in the old, why wouldn't he create that in the new? Now, imagine for a second Jurassic Park. Okay, without all the eating and killing and bloodshed, you know, that's taking place. How cool would it be to sit on a brontosaurus? How cool would it be to ride on the back of a pterodactyl? Okay, I don't know if that's going to happen, but why not? God created these creatures. Why wouldn't he have us enjoy these creatures in heaven as well? Just an idea, just a picture there, which leads us to question number three. What will our lives be like in heaven? What will our lives be like? Now, Revelation 21.3 says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. So one of the most important things about heaven is that you and I will have perfect relationship with God and with each other. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home Not just our own place in heaven, but at home with the Lord. Now, here's one of the coolest things about heaven. You've probably heard this before. There's not going to be any more pain. There's not going to be any more sin. 
There's no crying. There's no more death. Revelation 21.4 says, God will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. No more bad days. No more guilt. No more shame. No more the turmoil that we struggle with back and forth. We just talked about anxiety. No more anxiety. It's gone. All that inner stuff, completely gone. Gone are those days. Only good days in heaven. It's amazing. Uh, We also uh, get to have new bodies. Let me say that again. We get to have new bodies. There we go. Amen. Come on. I guess I might be the only one excited about that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says this, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It'll happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. Not like transformers, by the way, those of you who are in that generation. Uh, For our dying bodies will be transformed into bodies that will never die. Don't miss that. Our moral bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? See, Philippians 3.21 says it this way. Jesus will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Now, we don't know. Here's what we don't know. We know we're going to get new bodies. We know we're going to get bodies that will never decay, that will be immortal. We don't know what those plans or what those bodies will look like. Ourselves, who we are, will continue. Our souls, how he created us, will continue. But we don't have the bodies. I mean, we might have a whale's ability to dive. Who knows? An eagle's ability to fly. Maybe we'll run like a cheetah or climb a mountain like a goat, like Rob Fisher, you know, who's one of our crazy goat climbing guys. You know, but what will it look like? What age, people ask, will it be? You know, people have speculated that uh, human decay happens in your late 20s or early 30s. I know, not pleasant to really think about. But our big God, our bodies begin to actually decay after that time frame in our lives. And so we could be that. We could be younger. We could be older. We don't know. But what I do love, what a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards says, he says this, the heavenly people, he believes, will remain in eternal youth. In other words, heaven will be full of children, even if we look like adults. What we love about children is their joy, exuberance, curiosity, laughter, and spontaneity. In heaven, whether or not anyone is the size and appearance of a child, will all be childlike in the ways that will bring joy to us and to our Father. That's a great picture, you know, to be able to have in our minds. We'll stay young. So will we become angels? That's one of the questions that got thrown out. No, we're not going to become angels. In heaven, we'll actually govern angels. So there's a difference between us and the created order than angels. And 1 Corinthians 6, 3 says, don't you realize that we will judge angels so you should surely be able to resolve disputes in this life? What about our names? All right, will we keep the same names? Biblically, yeah. We're going to keep our same names. Now, how do we know this? Matthew 8, 11 says, And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from the east and west, and to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. So they're still Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their names have not changed. So why would we think our names would change as well? Now, I do want to tell you, that we will, in addition to our names, we will get a new name as well. 
We will get a new game. Revelation 2.17 says, And I, God, will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. See, it's the name. See, some of you have grown up and be like, I don't like my name. I've never liked my name. Uh, and your name, uh, in the Bible, names had great significance. It really describes the essence of a person, which is why God changes names from Paul to Saul or Simon to Peter to exemplify who are you really. And when you get this white stone, you're going to turn it over and you are going to understand. Nobody else is going to understand and be like, yep, this has always been me. And God's going to give you that new name. Now, some of you are a little disappointed in that because you're like, I wanted to pick my own name. You know, I wanted to call myself Taserface, you know, or something <laughs> along those lines. Those of you who are Avenger fans understand that reference. You don't get to choose. I apologize for that. In addition, this one might be a little funny to understand in heaven. We're going to actually have different rewards, different rewards. It's not going to be cookie cutter. A lot of times we think, well, heaven is going to be, you know, like track home housing. Because everybody is equal and everybody gets the exact same thing. That's not how heaven works, nor should it, nor should it at all. And in fact, uh, uh, Tyler already mentioned this in Matthew 6.20. It says, store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, it sounds funny, but what we do with the resources, this has nothing to do with salvation. What we do with the resources here on earth for God and his kingdom and how it grows us as well will determine at some level a rewards that we get in heaven as well. Now, you've heard financial planners who've said, hey, save some money away so that when you retire, you have something. Some people, when they retire, have more than others based on how they've used their resources. How much more so when it comes to the kingdom of God? And isn't that right? Isn't that fair? Isn't that actually what's really just when those who have sacrificed great actually get a greater reward? So the next time you hear the church, us, even say, hey, it's important for you to give, and you start thinking, ooh, the church only wants my money. Yes, for your sake. Every time you give, you're putting money away in heaven. These aren't Dan's words. This isn't trying to bait and switch you. This is what Jesus has to say. So we're actually trying to encourage you when it comes to resources in this life, which is why it's something that we talk about on a regular basis, for your sake. Secondly, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in this earthly body. So again, this is not about salvation. It's not about whether you go to heaven or not. And this makes total sense to me. I would hope that those who've given their lives for Jesus, who've actually died just for being a Christian, would receive a greater reward than those of us who didn't. Wouldn't that be a right and fair and just way? And I would go and want to honor those people who've given it all when I myself didn't have to. I would hope that God would honor and find some way of giving something extra you know, to them. It's not a value statement. It's one of these things that God says, this is right and this is just, which leads us to question number four. What in the world are we going to do in heaven? This answers the question of boredom, right? People think heaven is just going to be boring, one long church service, and we're going to sing in the clouds, and we're going to know everything, and we're going to be perfect, and so we're going to have all the abilities down, blah, 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 how boring, Right? That's what people actually think when it comes to heaven. So let me kind of unfold what are some of the things that we're going to do. Number one, we get to eat. 
We have immortal bodies, but we're still going to ever have just like the best meal of your life where you're like every bite, you were just like, oh, this is just amazing. We're going to eat in heaven. How do I know? It's not what Dan thinks, what the Bible says. Isaiah 25, 6, in Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. Can I get an amen? See, Luke twenty two eighteen. 18, Jesus reaffirms this when he says, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. So he's saying he will drink wine again when we get to heaven. Revelation 19, verse 9, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the lamb. We get to eat in heaven and enjoy that time in perfect meals. And yes, there will be coffee in heaven. For those of you guys who need that, you know, as well, but not because you need to stay awake, just because you enjoy it. We're going to find perfect fulfillment in work. Now, some of you guys are like, well, are we just going to lay around, you know, all day? Revelation 22, 3 says, no longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. Now, worship is in both what we do, we say, and even as we sing. Matthew 25, verse 23, Jesus tells this parable, upon entrance into the kingdom of heaven, the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities so come into your master's happiness. Let's celebrate together. Uh, have you ever, you know, come across somebody who retired here on earth? And after a few days, weeks, or months of retirement, they're like, I am bored out of my mind. And so they have to do something because there's something that God created in us that we find fulfillment in what we do. Now, we always take it to an unhealthy level and we overwork or work ourselves to death, you know, or we find ourselves not doing anything. We're lazy and we're bored. Now, in heaven, why wouldn't we go? We have these perfect bodies. Why wouldn't we be able to work? Have you ever had a day, a moment, an hour where you did something, some aspect of what you might call work, but it was most, one of the most enjoyable experiences of your life? Where you're like, that was awesome. That was so much fun. I could see myself doing that forever. That's what God created us to be and do. We're going to have opportunities, you know, to work, to be a part of how he really designed and created us to be. Uh, again, if you think back to the Garden of Eden, work was part of that. A Adam was asked to tender the garden, to oversee the animals, but it wasn't without all the pain and the sweat of the brow and the toil of weeds and all that other kind of stuff. He found great fulfillment in that. That was all before sin. Uh, here's the other thing you need to understand. We're going to rest, maybe even sleep. Who knows? Uh, Revelation 14, 13 says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, <coughs> for their good deeds follow them. We will find rest. God rested on the seventh day. Did he have to? No. Have you ever uh, just been tired, just dog tired, and you just experienced those moments, those hours where you're like, oh, I just needed that? For some of you, the years wear long, don't they? and you're longing for a rest, <coughs> excuse me, it's an eternal rest that we're looking for. You find yourself thin, you find yourself worn out, and the longing for rest that we're going to receive is going to be unlike the rest we've ever received, and we're going to find ourselves in heaven with that. We're also going to worship God through song. <coughs> Revelation 7, 9, and 10 says, after this, 
I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes to our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Here's what you know about how you've been created. Music connects our souls, doesn't it? There's something that draws us into music, and then there's another level of the connection when we actually sing to God, which is a form of worship. So yes, we will sing in heaven. And why is it important for us to sing on earth? It gives us practice. If you've never had a worship connection or opportunity to worship with him, this is one of the reasons why we're doing a worship night tonight, you know, from 5.30 to 7. Just another way to practice what we are going to be doing in heaven, connecting our hearts with his and to one another. Uh, Tyler also reminded us that Randy Alcorn writes this, Satan need not convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He only needs to convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. If we believe that lie, we'll be robbed of our joy and anticipation. We'll set our minds on this life and not the next. You might have heard people say, I don't want to go to heaven. I'd rather have a good time in hell than be bored in heaven. And there's actually that thought, and which means we believe the devil's lied. Let me be absolutely clear. Hell is a place of torment. It's a place of isolation where friendship and good times don't exist. It doesn't. I mean, what greater version of hell is there than going and dying and knowing that there was a good God and an opportunity to receive him, and now you're separated from that God and his people forever? That is hell. In fact, everything enjoyable, everything refreshing, everything good, fascinating, interesting, not boring is actually finds its essence and creation in God. In Psalm 1611, it says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Pleasures of living with God forever. Now, will we know everything? Like when we, when we die, will we instantly know everything? I don't think so. Because it says that only God is omniscient. Omniscient means all-knowing. So there'll be an opportunity for those of us who like to learn, to continue to learn, to have, have conversations, continue to grow in that as well. God promises that we're going to laugh, we're going to rejoice, we're going to experience endless pleasure in heaven. Why in the world do we think that we're going to have this supernatural ability that every single time we go golfing, it's going to be a hole-in-one every time? How boring would that be? You know, just because you have a new body and there's no sin doesn't mean you're not going to shoot, you know, a hole in one. Now, you, you, you won't curse anymore, you know, when you miss the shot and some of those things. Our belief that heaven is going to be boring actually is a heresy because what it says is that God is boring. There's no greater nonsense. See, our desire, think about this, for pleasure and experience of joy comes directly from God's hand. Think about it. Who's the one who created taste buds, adrenaline, sex drives, nerve envies, and that all convey pleasure to our brains. God is the one that created that. That wasn't created by Satan. So how much more is that kind of pleasure going to be experienced in heaven? That he's the one that created it as well. Are we so arrogant to imagine that human beings came up with the idea of fun? Are we the ones that think that? Some people have asked, well, won't it be boring to be good all the time? That's that's an interesting assumption, you know, that sin is exciting and righteousness is boring. We've fallen for the devil's lie. It's a strategy that employed from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, right? That sin is what brings fulfillment. And it's what our culture keeps pushing all the time. Yet you realize what becomes boring is the more that you engage in sin, it leaves you lifeless. It doesn't actually fill you with life. Don't believe me? Go down that train. 
go down that path in life and you'll find yourself with however many sexual partners, however much joy that you might find in drugs or alcohol, however much in ecstasy that you find, do you realize that it doesn't take but a few months or a few years to get to a point to be like, "Ah, there's got to be something else. This isn't as fulfilling as it once was. There's always something more. That's Satan's scheme. It's to try to fill you with that nonsense that if you engage more in this, this is where all the fun is going to be and actually inevitably leads to boredom. Let me press into this a little bit longer. Another reason that people assume heaven is boring is it's because your Christian life is boring. So you think heaven's boring because that's what you're experiencing in your Christian life. You go to church one day a week, come for an hour, have to listen to a guy, might be interested, might not be interesting, you know, worship, good or not, then I go home and I live the rest of my life. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty boring. See, God calls us to follow him in an adventure that should put us on life's edge. We think of ourselves as fun-loving and of God as a humorless killjoy. We have it backwards. God is the one who's fun-loving. Aren't we the ones who are boring? Here's the real question. How could God not become bored with us for all eternity? We're the ones that are boring. Which then leads us to our fifth question. What were relationships be like in heaven? What about marriage? What about family members? What about kids? What about aborted babies? What about miscarriages? What about extended family members? What about people who've gone before us? Will we see and recognize them again? These are great questions, which is why you're going to need to come back next week because we're out of time today. (laughs) We just don't have the time. We're out of time. And it's probably the most important questions that you had the ones that are at least the most personal and the most deep in our lives. So we're going to kick off where we left off this next week. So I want to invite you to Thursday or to Sunday as we experience this together. As we close, your next step, should you choose to accept this, is to accept Jesus. He's the key. You can't get into heaven without Jesus. He paid the price. He made the way. And you and I have to submit ourselves to him or to submit ourselves anew. The second thing, if you've already accepted Christ, do you see the little things, little glimpses, little kingdom of heaven on earth that we get to experience? We get to eat and enjoy this little meal, and it's going to be greater in heaven. You get to have these little pleasures on here. It's going to be greater in heaven. You know, like this this place called home. It's going to be greater in heaven. We get a chance to practice what heaven's going to be like for all eternity. Lastly, as we'll talk a lot more about next week, you're going to have hope. No matter what happens in this life, there's going to be a better Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for just our conversation more than anything else today. And I pray, Father, that as people consider, you know, following you or being connected with you, that you would just lead us in this next step of the journey. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.